0: define things that we agree on and connect the dots as to why we both care about it. And I think we've got to lead with our hearts, not just with our heads. I think that's where the deepest unwavering change comes out of it.
1: You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future, an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation who want to nurture heroic leaders for environmental change. Just like you,
2: we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life.
1: Hi, I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast, alongside the brilliant Helen Hill.
2: Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm an educator, author, and designer.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Hope, Act, Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Rob Chan a new father whose parenting journey has been interwoven with his climate journey. On his birthday, he was born at 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's now 419 ppm. Atmospheric carbon dioxide has grown almost 20% since he was born. For future generations, Rob is devoting time to inspire pro-climate action through authentic conversations. He's an Asian-Australian currently working in tech who just founded a collective called Seed My Future. He believes that bravely hosting climate conversations is important and we need to meet people wherever they are in their climate journey. He wants to welcome all people from all positions of power into the climate action movement so we can build our brighter future collectively. In this conversation, we'll be talking about climate conversation starters, inspiring climate action and eco-emotions. So let's get into our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Rob.
0: Hello, Sally. Hello,
2: Helen.
1: Hello. Good to have you. Your parenting journey has been deeply interwoven with your climate journey. Can you speak a bit about your catalyst to get involved in climate action? What was your climate moment?
0: My climate moment, yes, I remember it vividly. It was a morning in 2019 when we had uh, come back to Sydney. Uh, We had recently relocated to California that year. And in that morning, it was already hitting 42 degrees Celsius. There was a lot of smoke covering uh, most of Eastern Australia. We realized that we were witnessing the largest bushfire in recorded history. And that sparked a conversation between my wife and I, around what we were learning in the climate space, um, listening to the science, understanding how um, policy has an impact, how these systemic changes are important. And then I realized that it was up to us, uh, our generation, to make sure that the planet is inhabitable for future generations. We could no longer ignore it uh, because it was in front of our eyes and it took this extreme weather event to realize that we couldn't be theoretical, we couldn't be academic about it, and that we got to take action too. And so since then, I've been navigating my climate journey uh, around individual choices, individual votes, our household decisions, what we could be doing in our um, careers. Um, All these things matter. Uh, And since then, since that moment uh, we've been on this journey.
1: And I think your story resonates so much, Rob, because it's exactly the same climate moment for me. And I was back from London visiting Sydney, Australia, and exactly the same thing with the catastrophic bushfires. And I just remember feeling so guilty at the time because I was so excited to be seeing family and friends and be back with everyone, but it all felt so out of whack with the horrifying situation that was going on and, and the reality really dawning of, What was happening not only today but what it meant for the future of of our children and 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 for society so completely hear you on that and i think i've heard you speak Rob before about solastalgia and eco-anxiety and i think maybe for those who might not be familiar with these terms perhaps if you could just talk through what they mean for you and how those sorts of things have manifested for you
0: Yeah, and I think it's really important to talk about emotions in this space, because there's a lot of facts out there, there's a lot of sort of hard, logical things, and then I think we we also need to create space for our emotions and our feelings. That December 2019, that was solastalgia to me. It was uh, pain experienced uh, when I realized that this place that I used to call home, or I, I still did call home was under assault. And those extreme weather events, fire, floods, droughts, hurricanes, and it could even be sort of human uh, created changes, destructive extraction mining, for example, that sort of sense of belonging to a place and being shaken at its core um, by it, that sort of dislocation, that homesickness of it, that's what solastalgia means that in the moment that um, we lose a sense of ourselves uh, and the place that we uh, identify with, and I think solastalgia in exploration with eco-anxiety, and for me, eco-anxiety is is more around a normal experience when contemplating the current climate situation and into the future, and sort of that that overwhelming sense of um, doom that's uh, that's that we feel, and. I think it's important just to say that it's a normal sense Mm. of emotion both nostalgia and eco-anxiety it's a it's it's a complex web web of feelings that cause us to think about the future a little bit differently and uh, we should you know make sure that we explore these emotions and understand why they change how we think about the future a little bit whether it's you know not going to school on fridays and striking or you know, why we think we don't need to save money for our retirement someday, because we may not um, enjoy it. Or, um, you know, in the UK I I read that there were folks that were birth striking and forgo having children. And so we act differently into the future and our anxiety um, that comes from that. uh, We need to navigate those normal uh, emotions and feelings.
2: Yeah, and something that, it's, it's funny you say, make that comparison, actually, because one thing that just came to my mind was, obviously there's been the bushfires in Australia, but you also have significant ones in uh, the USA, obviously in California. And how have you seen people respond to these? Are they starting to see the the urgency in those areas? Um, and is there a difference between US and Australia, do you think?
0: Uh, yes, I think The conversation around weather, I think some of the time, not all of the time, is the link to um, human-caused climate change drawn, Mm. and so I think we have really um, unfortunate moments where we can have this dialogue and have this conversation, but not all of it is centered around um, how we should be fixing the Mm. um, situation at its root cause, Uh, and so I think you know, we do talk about it and people are awakened because of it. If we say, t- you know, 2020, um, a pandemic occurred, then that was a um, powerful moment to see how people could react to something that um, people, you know, needed to react to.
2: Mm.
0: And I would say that um, we 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 are having conversations and people are being awakened to it. And I think that's that gives a lot of hope. Uh, and one thing that I wish we didn't have to do is, uh, we could empathise with, you know, other people in other parts of the world that are experiencing this on a daily basis, uh, and not just our homes as well. And I, I often think about that, like, uh, what happens if I wasn't in Sydney on that day, um, celebrating with f- uh, friends and family? Uh, how could we actually have everyone uh, feel and empathise with uh, the needs?
2: Yeah, I. I, I agree with that, absolutely, because I think that's something that I find, you know, being in the UK, that we're quite removed from. Yes, yeah, sure, we have fires on the moor, quite a lot around us, but they're never of that scale that you've had in Australia and, and California. And I think it is that thing of, oh, it's happening on the other side of the world, we're okay a little bit, but we just don't have that same panicked response or anything to that particular
1: emergency here Um, and it is something i think we need to talk about more i completely agree helen conversations are so important and rob you've decided to devote a lot of your time to inspiring climate action through authentic conversations what was it about this particular space that made you choose it
0: i've been listening to climate movement stories for a long time and i think you know there's three things that i've observed one is just they're so dour it, it's so sort of like harsh, gloomy, sullen, stern, and that doomsday narrative means that we just don't want to approach the topic. It's a, it's a downer, right? And so it brings the mood of a party down, and so we avoid talking about it at dinner tables, at barbecues, at coffee shops, you know, at the places of worship. Uh, and if we don't normalize this conversation, then climate never rises to the agenda, top of the agenda on boardroom meetings. And that's where i found climate conversations to be disengaging. Uh, second thing is for me, I found it important to have these authentic conversations because it helps us demystify the jargon around climate. Often it just takes so much time to really understand any like, field deeply. And for most of us, we don't have that time. And mm. sometimes there's often there's shame tinging some of those conversations where people are demanding uh, us to change and throwing requests at us uh, when we're not ready and unlearning things up is hard. If we don't find a welcoming space to, to listen to that message, then we just shut down on that message as well. And so I think climate topics can be discouraging. And finally, um, I think we can be a little bit walled off from each other. The echo chambers uh, in today's world, right? um, I think they're pretty loud and pretty lo- and high. It can be hard for us to hear each other uh, if we're not from the same collective or same tribe or the same generation, you know, like um, Gen Z lives on TikTok and I and I don't even know, <laughs> no. like begin to think about Gen Alpha. So if we don't listen to each other, we don't empathize with each other, how can we possibly unify uh, and change how we've created society together over the last hundreds of years? And so I think that's where it's a little bit divided, but it doesn't have to be this way. And I think that's the power of conversations if we can make it approachable, engaging, uh, leave people who come out of the conversation, you know, electrified, wanting to change, share some thumb stopping content, share some (laughs) thumb tapping actions, make it easy for people to get involved and make it playful. Uh, And if we can bridge and cross these echo chambers and it begins with listening to each other, then I think we can welcome other groups and other tribes into the space so that we can truly change the systems that uh, have caused this.
1: So so just leading on for that then, Rob, how do you think we make these conversations more hopeful and inspiring? How do you think we, you know, try and meet people where they're really at to then inspire that action and help people on that journey?
0: I think it starts with listening. Where people are on the climate journey, we have to do the work of listening to where they are. And I think far too often we just sort of speak at people and then wait for our turn to speak and if we do that we don't hear each other's needs really what is it that we need from each other we got to find a place of agreement uh, and then build the conversation from that and once we do that then you know really connect the dots as to why we care about this one thing whether it's the future generation or whether it's um, the survival of our business and how we need to transform or what it is that our citizens are demanding of us. We need to find things that we agree on and connect the dots as to why we both care about it. And I think we got to lead with our hearts, not just with our heads uh, as well, because I think that's where the deepest unwavering change comes out of it. Um, So I think it's important that we listen um, to people wherever they are on the climate journey, find shared values and then uh, build examples of how people are making a change in the world, because people are really making a change in the world and helping decarbonize our society. And if we point out that you know this is happening and we can do it too, then it gives us that agency as well. Uh, and, and I think the final point is we, we also got to remember we don't need to hold conversation with everyone in the world. Um, <laughs> the Yale um, program on climate change communication sort of maps out these six personalities those of us that are alarmed, um, those of us that are concerned, cautious, disengaged. Some of us are doubtful. Some of us are dismissive. And I think we just got to remember where we need to deploy our energies most. We don't need to hold conversation with everyone, uh, unless, of course, you're a, an atmospheric climate scientist and the world is listening on Twitter, um, <laughs> and, and you know you need to respond. But. Uh, remember that you know you are um, you also have limited energies, and you should um, have conversations with those that can uh, that are listening to you as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many parallels with other areas of life as well, isn't it? Because a lot of these themes are running through stuff I talk about around running a business and things as well, and you know, finding your values and putting your energies where where they're going to benefit you most. There's so much we can adapt from other areas of life, really. Where do you see some of the biggest opportunities for climate action coming from?
0: I think it's in that same conversation the biggest opportunity is to make it fun. And yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's where the climate movement has been lacking. Uh, it's it's just a good PR team, a good marketing team to make it fun. I think culture leads change, you know, not politics, not economics, but culture leads change and I think if we're if we can share stories about what's happening um from a cultural perspective then and i think it's amazing like okay take take for example like these are some fun stories fun climate conversation starters just in the realm of music um, the norwegian pop icon aha famous for the song take on me <laughs> in 1989 the year that i was born they were leaders in ev um activism uh, oh, and well. now norway is the largest adopters uh, of battery electric vehicles in in the world uh, credit yeah. has to be given to their activism, right? They're, they they drove through boom gates, parked everywhere, um, didn't pay any fines to the government, all with this privately electrified, very small Fiat Panda that had a forty-five kilometer <laughs> range, and they did this because they wanted to say, "Hey, there's a better way out here." And so the pop icons, Aha, uh, Magnet and Morton, they they did this thirty-two years, thirty-one years ago, thirty-two years ago, and it. it It's amazing. Uh, Did you know Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide, a rapper, released a song in 2012 called Global Warming? Great song. Oh, right. No. Um, K-pop. In the realm of K-pop, Blackpink was appointed by the UN as climate ambassadors. And later in this month, in October 2021, they're going to be on YouTube Originals, Dear Earth, talking about why this matters to them. Billie Eilish in 2019, in all her concerts, banned plastic straws, encouraged people to bring their refillable water bottles um, to to fill up at water stations. and If you go on YouTube now and just uh, look at the song, All the Good Girls Go to Hell, which is a song around climate um, change and the California situation, you can see the captions below um, you know, right now there are millions of people all around the world um, begging our leaders to pay attention that our Earth is warming at an unprecedented rate. Ice caps are melting, our oceans are rising, our wildlife is being poisoned, and, and forests are burning. Make your voice be heard. And so we have all these culture icons that are trying to get that message out. And I think, you know, we need to center some of that creativity in arts and fun and you know, not hide it as well. It's a serious conversation that needs to be had and we should also have it too. Um, And and, and I think that is the biggest opportunity for climate
1: action. I love what you're saying there, Rob, and I think it's so true about culture being the way that can lead it forward Mm. and just making things more fun, more inspiring, more engaging. And I think to lead from that then, what do you think the future could look like if we actually get this right? And what can we make the world like for future generations? Because I don't think there is enough conversation around what the world could be, how much better and greener and fairer it could be if we do things well. So what's your vision?
0: Oh, Sally, that's a good one. (laughs) These are really good questions. Um, If we get this right, I think we, we can make a more equitable and just society and an inhabitable future for people. And I think it's quite funny, you know, the the earth will continue to orbit around the sun long after we're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, So we make pro-action, pro-climate actions, not for the planet, but for people. Um, To to quote Catherine Cahill, like, what's at stake is us. And I think we we choose to fight for us. um, And that's what gives me hope. And that's what I think the future can look like. It's not that you know we we're delirious on hopium, right? I think we are all aware of the climate situation we're in, and if we're not, then we should have those conversations too. And trust trust me, like you know, I get I get uh, my energy waning t- from time to time, lose focus, discouraged. Um, but what gives me hope um, for our generation and generations after us is. Uh, looking at the work that's being done in this space, being curious about it, being inspired by it all over again and pick, picking myself back up and uh, doing something pro-climate um, uh, and, and giving myself that um, space to navigate uh, to that hope. Um, so I think that is what a future generation could look like if we get it right, a, a more equitable and just society. And it's going to be hard and maybe daunting but it's also a great opportunity um, to make this society um, something a little bit more of uh, what we want it to be an an equitable and and just place to live
2: yeah, so right. And it's certainly something you need to fight for. And obviously, you've become a parent recently. What would you tell guardians of the next generation? So, not just the parents, but the teachers, the carers, the extended family, anyone that is looking after the, the next generation?
0: Um, Ellen, I would say that you're brave. Uh, all the guardians <laughs> out there, you're brave and yeah. you'll need to be. Because the questions the next generation are going to ask you about why adults aren't changing the systems for their future and for their life, that's a tough one to answer. And that's yes. one that I'm bracing myself for. <laughs> and one way to try and answer that, I think, is just to listen first and, you know, be part of the movements where youth are speaking. Be part of the mm-hmm. spaces where they are talking. Um You know if they're taking to the streets protesting for their future i think parents carers family members teachers you should all be there too and be there to listen about what it is that um, uh, the next generation is demanding a couple of fridays ago i uh, i went on my first march my first protest my first civil resistance uh, with youth activists in san francisco we walked down market street um, all as a part of the global climate strike and i was there to listen to what the youth were demanding from local politicians um, local leaders of business and what gives me hope is they were so well versed on the complex matters of american politics of filibusters and multinational economic activities of pipelines being installed and there's just a refreshing honesty um, about the next generation that i think the guardians of that next generation uh, would um, do well just to listen and understand and empathise where uh, our future is speaking from and it was awe-inspiring.
2: Fantastic point that they really are going to be asking those questions that we just, well, we need to have an answer for and we need to show that we've done something, absolutely. Sally, you you had a final question, I think, didn't you?
1: Uh, Look, I just want to say, Rob, thank you so much. It's been incredibly inspiring listening to, to all of your perspectives on this and I guess just is there Anything else you would like to add to the conversation?
0: I think one of the things about why authentic conversations mean a lot to me is I think we can help people navigate to easy changes that they can make in their life. Like if you go for a coffee in the morning, if you drink lots of water, think about bringing a reusable cup. You know, I actually have my coffee right here in a reusable cup, and that matters because um, we can, you know, we can change something through the um, choices that we make and the values that we identify with. You're thinking about changing your car, maybe buy second hand, buy an EV, or use public transit or bike or mm-hmm. walk more. Um, if you don't know if your household electricity has been is has, has switched to renewable energy, then then we can uh, check it out together. Um, and we can show you how to do that. And I think that's important uh, conversations to have with family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues. Um, to make it easy to change and also desirable to change. Uh, And I think that's uh, what we need more of is our collective uh, actions uh, expressed through individual uh, authentic conversations.
1: And I think one of the biggest Mm -hmm. things with individual action is that it can create those ripples and, you know, people just even seeing others doing things, it even opens it as a possibility and, You know, I know I've been plant-based for a couple of years now, at least predominantly, and even without proactively talking about it or trying to encourage others to switch, when people see you eating those foods or ordering those (laughs) things or making those recipes, it just starts conversations and opens up people even thinking about perhaps eating less meat, you know, as an example. And so even though sometimes it can feel like those smaller actions you know, uh, microscopic on the scale of reducing the carbon emissions, actually in terms of people being able to make ripples of change within their communities, they can have a really large impact.
0: Yes, yes. Psychologists call this dynamic norms. Um, Mm. Individuals who do something and show others around them that they're doing that. It signals that hey, this is like a this is like a current trend. This is something to get on board with. It seems like a pretty good idea. And so I have been eating um, more and more plant based because of um, friends uh, who have chosen to live um, this way. And these people look like me, sound like me, act like me. Maybe I can do it too. And Not only is it you know is it is it possible that people are doing it as well? And I think that sort of uh, realization that our ripples matter and In a way, we are all influencers in the world around us. Um, Reducing uh, the distance between uh, what it is that we can do and what it is that we are doing just helps our friends and our family um, uh, identify with that too. And so that's so powerful. Yes, we are all influencers.
2: Yes. (laughs) Because, I mean, even on our estate, we live on quite a new build estate with... um, a lot of houses on it, but it was only when I posted something about starting Be the Future that one of the neighbors commented to me about, oh, well, I've started trying to cut plastic out and I'm doing it this way. And she gave me loads of tips. And then the next neighbor joined in and, oh, well, I'm doing this and that. And it's ended up with a nice little group of sort of four or five of us that share tips and look at this company and buy this from here. And it's, it suddenly gives you that sense of not doing it on your own. And I think that is so powerful. And it certainly helped my mindset towards it.
1: And I think we all need that so much. We need that community and to know other people are caring and wanting to make change too. And I know, you know, even seeing my family deciding to learn different, you know, meals to cook or interested in changing Mm -hmm. to renewable energy and you start to just see and, and it kind of helps because then, yes, they are able to also provide recommendations and there's more support when, you know, sometimes you'll encounter people who you know, don't want to make the changes or don't agree um, or aren't quite aware, and that can be a struggle sometimes, it's wonderful just to find more and more people who really want to shift forward and make those changes. It really helps to keep up that action and keep up that positivity and hope too, like we were talking about before.
0: I leave today with hope. Uh, actions and I thrive to it. Thank you all. <laughs>
2: oh, hey. Love it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we'll have you back to do some more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week. We really hope this episode inspired you.
1: If it did, please review, subscribe, and share this episode with a curious friend it makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you.
2: Oh and check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our guest.
1: And come say hi to us on Instagram over at be the future.earth where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco anxiety into playful action. Let's hope, act
2: and thrive.